Hey, this is Carl Anderson. I'm the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church, and this is our sermons podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message fills your soul with hope, helps you see the beauty of Jesus, and allows you to feel the love that God has for you. If you want more information about experiencing God's love for you personally, head over to sierrabible.org and contact one of our pastors. I love you, and I'm praying for you. Thanks, Josh. I had the exact same feeling about Thursday of this week and saying, I got to get to a sermon here one of these days. Uh, it has been a, a crazy trying season, has it not? Many things that we never thought that we would be able to do or be called to do, and yet here we are. Uh, so if you brought your Bible, please open with me to Judges chapter 17. We're going to be working through chapter 17 and chapter 18 this morning, but when you turn there, uh, I then would appreciate it if you just put your finger there or a tab there and then move uh, to the left in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Uh, We read Isaiah chapter 46, or uh, Josh read Isaiah chapter 46, because it paints this clear description by Isaiah of the difference between the God of the Bible, the, the real God, the living God, the God who created and saves and sustains, and idols. It highlights this contrast between the God of the Bible who created us, who sustains us, has the ability to save us, and is like no other being. In contrast to idols, who are objects of our own making, then we need to lift them up. We need to save them. Idols cannot hear, nor idols can they save. And this is why God condemns idolatry in the strongest possible terms in Scripture, specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 12. This is the instruction that God gives to his people after they enter into the promised land where we will find ourselves in the book of Judges. Uh, This is what they are to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, it says this, These are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on earth. Verse 2, You shall surely destroy all of the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and dash into pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You, verse 4, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Let me repeat that. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Way. Verse 5, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all of the tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. He finishes off with this in verse 8. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. God is giving a strong warning to his people that as you go into the promised land, be sure to 
ensure that all of your worship is done with the centrality of God as your focus. Don't worship God in the ways that the surrounding peoples worship their gods. Be sure to be completely and wholly devoted to God, the God of the Bible. Deuteronomy is the backdrop that outlines the reasonings why the things have gone so poorly in the book of Judges. We, we've been working through in the fall and most parts of the winter here through this dark book of Judges that, that shows us what happens when God, God's people neglect his word and the uh, spiraling moral decay and decline that happens in God's people when they neglect his word. Word. Well, we are coming to the end of the book of Judges here this morning. And this week, next week, and the week following, we will be closing out the book. And the book closes with two conclusions. Just as it opens in chapter chapters 1 through 3 with a double inclusio of an introduction, so now it concludes with two stories that, uh, that form the end of the inclusio, a double conclusion to the story. And we're going to be focusing on the first story that happens in chapter 17 and 18. And it's going to reveal not that God is going to save his people through a judge and through a deliverer in the conclusion of it. It's going to show very clearly what happens in the life of God's people when they erect idols and when they do whatever is right according to their own uh, in their own eyes and the reader or excuse me the narrator wants the reader and wants God's people to be left with a picture of it gets this dark when God's word is neglected do you remember a time when a seemingly innocuous mistake had huge ramifications in your life. I don't want to give you a personal example because then you'll hold it against me. But there was a maintenance worker on a Belgian Air Force base a number of years ago who was performing routine maintenance on an F-16 jet. An F-16 fighter jet is worth somewhere in the neighborhood of 19 to 20 million dollars. As he's doing his routine maintenance on the F-16 jet, he accidentally hits a trigger on one of the control boards, engages the Vulcan cannon 20 millimeter firearm on the F-16 jet. The F-16 jet begins opening fire in the middle of the Air Force base, hits a two Two other F-16 jets, it hits the fuel tank of one of the F-16 jet, explodes it, and damages another. You can almost hear the maintenance man who's working on it be like, go! Sometimes simple mistakes can have massive long-term damage. The same is true in our spiritual lives, brothers and sisters. If we are not careful to walk before the Lord, reveling in His grace, worshiping Him for all who He is, we can very easily allow simple spiritual struggles to have massive consequences in our lives and in the lives of others. 
It is so easy to allow simple spiritual mistakes to compound into soul-crushing sin that can destroy our lives and the lives of others. Today we're going to see how the very simple, seemingly innocuous sin at the very first part in the household in the nation of Israel eventually escalates into full tribal apostasy. And the worst part of it all is it all could have been avoided with just simple reading of the Bible and applying what it says. Uh, the big idea of the message, if you like, uh, big ideas in one simple sentence is this. The unaware soul, the unaware soul will unknowingly worship unworthy idols. The unaware soul will unknowingly worship unworthy idols. Today we're going to see two spiritual stepping stones that introduce the fool and the foolishness of idolatry. The great reformer John Calvin used to say in many of his writings that the human heart is a factory of idols. We don't simply need to be tempted by those on the outside to worship and bow down before idols. Our very sinful hearts generate idols without even trying. The unaware soul will unknowingly worship unaware, will worship unworthy idols. In his volume, Unceasing Worship, a Wheaton College professor of worship, Harold Best writes this, nobody, nobody, in this planet and throughout all of history, nobody does not worship. We begin with one fundamental fact about worship. At this very moment, for as long as the world endures, everybody inhabiting it is bowing down and serving something or someone. An artifact, a person, an institution, an idea, a spirit, or God through Christ. Throughout the book of Judges, the people stumbled into idolatry one after another in the worship of false gods like Asherah and Baal. And they would just simply write a, a summary statement to say that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, today we're going to see how Israel begins making up their own idols begins generating them from their own hearts and uh, makes new gods for themselves. They will fashion this new god in their own image. And like all idols, the false god will approve of every one of the sinful desires of the people who worship it. The story opens in chapter 17 with a man named Micah. Micah is a great Hebrew name. It's a great English name. If any of you are named Micah, congratulations. It's a fantastic name. If, if you are pregnant and having a, having a boy child, I recommend the name Micah. It's a great Hebrew name. It means, who is like Yahweh? Who is like our God? Yet as the story opens, we see that, that Micah is quite ignorant of the Lord. And his name is rather ironic because what he does shows that 
he doesn't even believe what his name means. He, he comes from a wealthy family in the hill country of Ephraim, and he's wealthy. We know he's wealthy because his mom has 1,100 pieces of silver that were stolen from her. And uh, remember the commandment way back in Exodus chapter 20. Many of you probably have it memorized. Um, it, it says this in the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. It says this, Honor your father and your mother. Remember that one? Everybody nodding their heads like, yeah, I get that one. Remember the eighth commandment? A couple ones down there. You shall not steal. Pretty simple, basic, Ten Commandments, Torah type of instruction for a, a Hebrew living in ancient Israel. Something they should have known rather easily. Remember those commands? You know those commands? Uh, Micah didn't. Verse 2. Micah said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it into my ears, behold, that silver is with me. I took it. So much is being revealed about Micah in just this one sentence. First of all, Micah's mom is practicing divination and magic. She's uttering curses upon whoever took it. I curse them. She's uttering, practicing divination and magic, pronouncing curses. It's revealed Micah is a thief. He's breaking the eighth commandment. He's breaking the fifth commandment in not honoring his father and his mother. And now he's simply giving back the 1,100 pieces of silver because he's afraid of the magical curse that has been pronounced. Imagine your teenage son comes home and says to you, Mom, you know, I know you were looking for the person who took out our car last night and stole it and drove it all around and the police found it in the middle of, uh, uh, in the middle of a neighborhood just completely abandoned. I know you were looking for that person. Yeah, it was me. Now, what would your reasonable parental response be? You would probably be like, boy... You are not touching this car ever again. You better thank your ever-loving mind that I don't kick you out of this house right now. What do you have to say for yourself, young man? You know, that, that's what most of you as parents would say. Probably not in Cassidy's accent. But that's probably along the lines of the tone that you would respond. But that's not how Micah's mom responded to one of her most valuable household possessions, 1,100 pieces of silver. She replies, Blessed be my son by the Lord. I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand to my son so that my son can make a carved image and a metal image. My son has already broken the fifth commandment and the eighth commandment. Why don't I help him out and allow for him to break the second as well? Micah takes the metal to a silversmith. He makes an ephod and he makes a carved image. He builds a shrine to uh, a false representation of Yahweh. And then he appoints one of his own sons to serve as a priest in his household shrine. Who needs the tabernacle of the Lord at Shiloh during this time when you can have a household shrine in the privacy of your own home? 
Who needs to meet with the people of God in the gathering of his church when you can sit at home and watch Joel Osteen in your sweatpants and who can tell you how to live a blessed life now and your best life now? Verse 6 summarizes the spiritual state of the depraved Israelites at this time and says this, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Who cares what God's law says? It's so much more convenient to build a household shrine and appoint a priest for my own family than to actually go through the prescriptions of the law that God has given to us and to his people. And Mike is not done breaking God's commandments. Next, he meets a young man from Bethlehem in Judah who was a Levite. The first thing to note is that Bethlehem is not a Levitical city. The law prescribes certain cities where the Levites, the, the priests in ancient Israel, are supposed to live. In Bethlehem wasn't one of them. This Levite was a priest for hire. He's a wandering spiritual guru who's ready to bless anyone who's ready to pay top dollar for his services. He meets Micah. The, the young man who's a Levite, uh, and Le- Micah asks him where he comes from, and he replies to him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn, sojourn where I may find a place. I'm a, I'm a traveling priest looking for a place to settle down. Micah's proper response, what he should have said to the Levite in this moment, was been like, man, our nation has fallen so far away from God. We are an utter mess. We don't even have a Levitical city where a Levite can sit, can, can, can be established and build a household and serve God. We, we don't even have a, a Levitical city for a place for you to live in and serve the Lord. This is such a messed up time that we are living in, is it not? And they should have had a discussion over Torah and how to institute the law and, and how to walk in the abundance of God's grace. But Micah is an opportunist. He's like, you know what? I just built a shrine for myself and my household, and I had to appoint one of my sons, but he's not very good at being a priest. It would be awesome if I could get a legit priest, a legit Levite, to come and serve my shrine in my own household. So in verse 10, he says, stay with me. Be a father and a priest, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes for your living. The Levite responds to him, deal. I'm in. And he becomes the household priest of a sinful shrine, and he's actively now breaking both the first and the second commandment. Micah closes the section with a response that belongs in a church of a prosperity gospel preacher, saying this, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. God has blessed me so much. I've got my own household priest. Now, I'm not a great marksman. I go target shooting every once in a while. I know how to handle a firearm. But you won't see me hitting the bullseye every single time when I, when I go out target shooting. But even though I'm not great with a firearm, I'm also not careless I'm also not out there waving the gun around, just shooting it into the air, just randomly firing in all different directions. Brothers and sisters, the the word of God is powerful. 
The Word of God comes from God for our life transformation, for the building up, for the destroying of sin. But if we just carelessly wave around the Bible and piecemeal text together to suit our own passions, eventually we're going to do a lot of damage and we're going to do what Micah has done. We're going to erect a God in our own image to suit our own passions rather than humble ourselves under God's word to serve him because of his grace. Whenever we craft an idol to suit our own passions, we domesticate God. We, do, do we, trans, we transfer him from being the great creator God who has done all things on behalf of his people for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. We domesticate him into our own image to serve us according to our own sinful passions. And there are so many ways this happens in our day and age. We domesticating God, creating a new God who is no God at all. So many ways in our culture today that self-professing Christians do this. When we anoint a worldly leader as an agent of the kingdom of God, doesn't matter what realm it is, business, politics, athletics, we say, now that this leader, we are following this leader, the kingdom of God is coming to business. Now that this leader is, is leading our nation, the kingdom of God is coming to America. We're doing what Micah did. We're, we're, we're setting up an agent of the kingdom of God and saying, now we are blessed because we have this one particular person. Brothers and sisters, we have a leader in the kingdom of God. He's been anointed and appointed and he sits and he rules and he reigns and he is in authority over you and over me, over business and politics. He's in authority over your family and my family. He's in authority over sports and athletics and every realm and dominion that exists. Jesus Christ rules and reigns as the agent of the kingdom of God to usher in a new and glorious age that is to come in the future. We don't need to anoint or appoint a worldly leader as an agent of the kingdom of God. Secondly, we do this when we see, and this doesn't always happen this way, but I'll give you a couple of, of examples of how it does, does happen in this way. When, when we see worldly success as a measure of your faithfulness to Christ. When we see worldly success as a measurement of our faithfulness to Christ. Well, I got this promotion because I've been a faithful Christian. I'm being blessed because I've been a faithful Christian and now I received a worldly promotion. Maybe, but just to say you got a promotion and therefore God is blessing you, God might be tempting you with that promotion. I mean, God wouldn't be tempting. Satan would be tempting. God might be testing you with that promotion. And to just say that, yes, I'm getting the promotion in the, in the, and I'm receiving a, a worldly success, then I, by de facto, I have been faithful to Christ. Taking a promotion at work might take you away from your church. Taking a promotion at work might take you away from your family, might take you away from the more important things that God has called you to do. And to just say that, yeah, I'm, I'm getting more money and I'm, and, and I'm being more, I'm, I'm receiving more success in the world's eyes and therefore I'm being I'm faithful to Christ. We are setting ourselves up for worshiping a God in our own image rather than the God who has created and saved us. And thirdly, 
One of the ways that is similar to what Micah is doing here that we can do very easily is just simply expressing our individual freedom in a way that removes accountability to God's word. Say, I am free to do, I am free in Christ to do as I please. Therefore, I can go get loaded on the weekend. I'm free in Christ. I don't care how many people I offend with my actions that I do. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to, yes, be free in Christ, but to exercise that freedom and love towards other people. Now you might think, why is this random story about Micah's household mentioned at the end of the book of Judges? Well, you'll see in chapter 18 why he begins with this description of Micah's household because you see how quickly it escalates just from this one household's idolatry into an entire tribe's full-on apostasy in chapter 18. As we remember in the introduction in chapter 1 of Judges, uh, the, the tribe of Dan, it never obtained an inheritance. To this point, uh, the tribes have been attempting to conquer the, the promised land and receive their inheritance from the Lord, but the tribe of Dan was continually under the rule of other peoples. And they want to live free. They want to do what they want. Everybody else is doing what's right in their own eyes. Why doesn't Dan have that opportunity as well? So they send out five spies to survey land where they might be established. These five spies, as they go out into the hill country of Ephraim, uh, they notice Micah's house and they stay in Micah's house for uh, a little while. As they are in Micah's house, they hear the voice of the Levite. And you know how sometimes you can hear somebody speak and be like, that's a preacher right there. Well, they hear the Levite speak, and they're like, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Levite. And the certain tone and tenor in his voice make, clues me into this person's identity. So they realize that there's a Levite living in Micah's house, and they ask him, what brought you here? And, they respond, and the Levite responds, Micah hired me to be his priest. Now, again... The proper response for these Hebrew followers of Jesus, followers of Yahweh, should have been the law doesn't prescribe household priests. We don't have household priests of household shrines. What are you doing? That would have been the proper response. But the spies, that's not what they said. They said, well, that's convenient for us to have a Levite in the house that we are staying. Tell us that we are going to be successful in our quest for the land. Everything inside of me, as I'm reading this text this, this past week, everything inside of me at this point in the story just wants to scream, Read your Bible. You have the Torah. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You have the law. Read it. You don't need to summon some magical powers of some bogus household priest. God already told 
the tribe of Dan where his inheritance should be. I guess he would need to read Joshua for that one, but they would have had that written down as well. God already told the tribe of Dan exactly where their inheritance should be. God already, already said, promised to them that they will inhabit this particular land. But this priest is for hire. And his prosperity gospel message rang in the ears of these spies so loudly. Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. No, it is not. All caps, period, after every single word. No, it's not. Brothers and sisters, this is simple Bible 101. Believe God's word over prosperity preachers. Amen? The spies leave Micah's house. They find a city called Laish. And Laish, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, Laish is basically the Shire. The people are peaceful. They don't have any weapons. They don't worry about intruders. They don't have any military alliances that are near them geographically that are going to help them out if they ever get invaded. But the problem, Laish wasn't a part of Dan's inheritance. But they see Laish and they see all oh, these suckers. These poor peasants just thinking, no, no weapons, no arms, no military alliances. Oh boy, they, 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 don't, see, they, they don't even see it coming. We are going to crush them. So they head back to their tribe and they summon the people, say, hey, Dan, the tribe of Dan, we have a space for us. And we even found a priest and he blessed us saying that we're going to be successful. Let's take 600 med, let's go invade this city. So they're on their way there. They stop and they camp. They camp out in the land of and in the inheritance of Judah before moving on to Ephraim, the, the hill country again. And they're in the hill country and the five spies say to themselves, hey, remember that? house back in in the hill country of Ephraim that has those household gods the carved image the metal image yeah yeah let's let's, let's make a quick stop there before we head to Laish so they arrive at Micah's house again the 600 of the men who are going to war stand outside of the gate and the five men enter into the house they steal the idols and the religious paraphernalia and they leave the house and if they were godly they wouldn't have just stolen it they would have just destroyed it and gotten rid of it and said this isn't what god has called us to do as his people it's breaking like all sorts of commandments but they stole it because they wanted spiritual power for themselves said man it's a really good idea to erect our own god and to have our own and to have our own spiritual force who's with us and the priest catches them and the priest says to him, hey, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing taking these things? And the five spies say, shh, keep it quiet. I got an offer that I can't refuse. Come with us. Be our priest. Isn't it better to be a priest for an entire tribe than it is just for one house? And verse 20 shows exactly how greedy and opportunistic that this hired priest was. It tells us in verse 20, the priest's heart was glad. Sweet business opportunity, more money, more influence, higher wages. I can be the priest for an entire tribe 
And we already have a shrine and household gods. The priest was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. This priest was a piece of work, was he not? Only in it for the money. They turned, they departed, and they met up with the 600 men as they were leaving. And then as they were leaving, these 600 men, they put the children and the livestock in front of them as they're leaving the hill country of Ephraim, trying to lay low and put the kids out in front and and be unsuspecting of anything. But Micah caught up with them and caught up with them and said, You take my God that I made? And the priest? And you're just going to go away? What, what am I going to have left? Again, Micah, whose name is, who is like the Lord, what would he have left? Goodness gracious, this guy. The men say to him, keep your voice down. And they start acting like the mafia. Keep your voice down or some angry men might fall upon you. Namely, these 600 guys that I have with me right now. Micah knew he was overmatched, so he just let them go. The men approached the unsuspecting Laish, struck it down, burned the city to the ground, and rebuilt it and lived there and named it Dan after their ancestor. The story concludes with the damning indictment of the darkened spiritual state of the nation of Israel at the time in verses 30 and 31. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. We have our own God now. We have our own temple, a way to worship God in our own way carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, Jonathan, we now hear the name of the priest, the name that means Yahweh gives, the Lord is gracious, God gives. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, what else does it say there? The son of Moses. And his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he had made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. A competing Yahwism. A God who is no God. And the worst of all, it's from the family of Moses. A descendant of Moses. This small act of household idolatry has now spread to full-on tribal apostasy, turning lawless worship to a carved image. And it was the family of Moses who served as its priests. Unbelievable, shocking, disgusting. The readers should respond as they interact with this text. Brothers and sisters, do not let small sin compound in your life. Brothers and sisters, it will escalate greater and greater unless it is dealt with. Brothers and sisters, and there's three ways in which we can deal with sin appropriately. 
First and foremost, stay close to God's word. And I keep saying this every week, and I'm going to probably say it until the day that I die. All of this could have been avoided had they stayed close to God's word, walked in repentance, even at the very first act of breaking the commandments. His, if his mom just says to him, go to the temple, offer the guilt, offer the guilt offerings, walk back in right relationship with God, and all of this could have been avoided. Brothers and sisters, stay close to God's word. Small group. Get involved. Men's and women's discipleship groups. Man, you can wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and get here. There are a few reasons why if you have to work early or if you have other things, sure, you can do that. If you, if you can't make it at 6 in the morning on Tuesdays, uh, join uh, on Friday at, at noon. We stay close to God's word. How are you going to regularly stay close to God's word if you're not in fellowship with people who open God's word together? Join a women's Bible study. If you're a teenager, go to youth group. Be in fellowship under the teaching of Pastor Glenn. Be, be walking with other Christians who are under the authority of God, seeking his grace, hearing his gospel continually week after week. Stay close to God's word. And secondly, you, you will know the grace of God is at work in a, in a group or a fellowship group or a church or a gathering. You, you will know that God is at work when, secondly, we regularly confess our sin to one another. <laughs> they didn't know God's word. They didn't even know that they were sinning, and, and so they couldn't even confess their, their sin to one another. They were just doing whatever is right in their own eyes. That's why we stay close to God's word, and why? When we do, it does reveal the dark parts of our heart. We confess it to one another. And as First John tells us, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, if you can't remember the last time before another brother or sister that you confessed your sin to them openly, honestly, said, this is me, I own this, God's word condemns this, and I did it, and, and, and I'm sorry. And you don't hear the words of assurance from your brother or sister saying, God forgives you and I do as well. well go and sin no more. If you can't remember that time, brothers and sisters, that's a problem. It's a problem regularly confess our sins to one another. And thirdly, if we're staying close to God's word, if we're regularly confessing our sin to one another, we're reveling in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're his children, he's adopted us as, as, as his own. We have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ where we're going to be gathered together with him. Brothers and sisters, the best defense against sin is a great offense enjoying the worship of God, enjoying the fellowship that God has given to us, enjoying reveling in his grace, proclaiming him in all of his glory for all that he has done for us in Christ, allowing our hearts to burn for his word, magnify his name, to set apart gathering in Jesus' name to say, there's no way I'm missing this. There, this is the most important part of my life and there is no way that I'm going to neglect the gathering of God's people because my heart burns for it. Because I love coming before God and all that he has done for me in forgiveness of my sin and gathering his people to worship and exalt his name. And brothers and sisters, potentially some of you don't know him this morning. Potentially you're hearing all of this and, and saying, yeah, I'm exactly like Micah 
and Micah's mom and the priest and the tribe of Dan. I just like do whatever I want. I just kind of wandered in here this morning thinking, why not give spirituality a try? Brothers, or if that is you, and you don't know this God, the God of the Bible, who instructs us, who keeps us in his word, who reveals the gospel to us, don't let today go by without confessing your sin, without confessing, you know what, I just live my life by my own rules. I do me. Don't let today go by without confessing your sin to Jesus, the true and the living high priest who is able to save your soul from its bondage of living to yourself for your own vain idols and save your soul from eternal death. Brothers and sisters, we we don't have a priest who is for hire. We don't have a priest who could be manipulated to just tell us good messages if we pay him enough money. He doesn't just tell us that things on this side of eternity are going to be successful because it tickles our ears and it's what we want to hear. And he doesn't bail on us when a better offer comes along. We have a high priest who suffers on our behalf, who endures the difficulty of this age, who doesn't run away with the en- when the enemies come, and he doesn't exploit his followers at their expense. He gives his life for his followers so that they might enjoy him and God himself forever. Brothers and sisters, trust him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for when it it convicts us of sin, when we so easily stray one way or another, when we so easily centralize something else in our lives apart from you. Lord Jesus, uh, convict us by your spirit, where we have erred. Grant us a refreshing wind of your spirit to forgive and renew and restore. Help us be a people who regularly confess our sin, who aren't ashamed or afraid to acknowledge when we have fallen short of your standard. And renew us here this morning. Grant us eyes to see your glory. Grant us hearts to burn for your word. Grant us feet to move into the dark places of the world to to shine your light. And show yourself, Lord Jesus, as the great and the merciful high priest over the household of God, bringing all of your sons and daughters to him through faith. God, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.